welcome to another episode of the Disciple Makers Podcast. This is Dave Stovall, your host, and today's episode features Disciple First at the Forum last year. This was their first track session, and Executive Director Glenn Underhill kicks everything off and then hands it over to founder and president Craig Etheridge. Craig brought us a message about leadership. We've all seen that crash and burn story from a leader, whether it was somebody that you knew personally at your church or maybe just somebody in the media. And we've all seen that superstar pastor and it's not a good picture. This talk today from Craig was such a great reminder of what a humble disciple making leader is, how we can be that ourselves and how we can help to recreate that in the people that we're discipling. This is a fantastic episode. Let's go ahead and jump in. This is Glenn Underhill and Craig Etheridge from Disciple First. We are so glad that you're here. Let me uh, introduce myself and Pastor Craig. Uh, My name is Glenn Underhill. Uh, I am the executive director for Disciple First, and uh, so glad that you're here joining us. Uh, I also serve as the, uh, the executive director or the executive pastor for spiritual <coughs> development uh, at First Colleyville, where Pastor Craig, who is the president of uh, Disciple First and as well as the lead pastor at First Colleyville, is. We've been together for a long time. We're like an old married couple. Uh, that's our wives even say, hey, your girlfriend's calling, you know, those kinds of things like that. He actually introduced me and my wife together uh, when I was in seminary, so I still owe him. He reminds me of that often. Uh, so we go way back together. But really, uh, we're glad you're here. A lot of what we're going to be talking about over the next four sessions in our, in kind of in our breakout is this whole idea about how do you really raise up not just leaders, because everywhere we go, as we work with churches, they're like, hey, how do we get more leaders? And really the question we ought to be asking is, how, many, how do we make more disciple-making leaders? And so, because um, everything rises and falls on leadership. And what most people, and what's so fascinating for us, is as we studied the life of Jesus, we really began to recognize that Jesus had a very uh, strong leadership plan. In fact, the last nine months, or so of his ministry were built around this idea of developing leaders, of leaders who would lead the movement. And so really what we've been kind of just looking at and what you'll be hearing a lot of what we're talking about is just how do, how do we translate what Jesus was doing and how can we begin to do that in the local church? So one of the things that we love about what we do is we get to work with lots of churches and we get to tell you a lot of things that we're we're, practice, I mean, we're practitioners in the local church. We're doing it in our own local church. We can tell you a lot of things not to do uh, and a lot of things that we're learning in the, in the midst of that. So again, we're really glad you're here. Uh, this session is going to be really focused on this leadership challenge, this idea of really how do we raise up this, this new kind of leader. Uh, and then we're just going to be kind of doing uh, kind of the, the practical ends of that uh, the rest of our next several sessions. We have a new book coming out. Uh, which we'll allude to at the very end of this session, uh, that we want to you know, give you a free copy of one of those chapters that we'll be talking about. It's called Made to Multiply. Everything you're going to be, we'll be talking about over the next four sessions is coming straight out of that book, which are straight out of the learnings that we've been picking up over these last uh, 15 to 20 years at First Colleyville. All right? So we're really glad that you're here. Uh, look at the person next to you and say, man, I'm really glad you're here. Introduce yourself. All right. 
So like I said, for those of you that... All right, so those of you that are standing in the back, we're glad you're here. Uh, let me uh, pray, and then I'm going to have uh, Pastor Craig come up. So, Father, thank you so much uh, for our time today. I'm so excited uh, about all the things that we're going to be learning over the next several days. What I love most is you, Jesus, and that you didn't just uh, tell us to make disciples who make disciples, but you gave us a plan, a strategy uh, of how to do that. And uh, as we really learn how to lean into that plan, uh, Lord, we know that your plan will lead to uh, a worldwide movement that will change the world. And that's what we want to be a part of uh, and really lean into. So thank you. Uh, thank you for all of these leaders that are here today. I pray favor and blessing on them as they go back and continue to lead well and lead a movement of multiplying disciples. Uh, where they live, learn, work, and play. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Thanks, Glenn. Hey, give a hand clap to Glenn for doing a great job uh, getting us kicked off. Uh, welcome. Uh, we are talking about leadership development and how do you develop disciple-making leaders. So that's what this track is about. Every session we do is going to be new content that builds on the one before, okay? So I'm introducing some concepts now. In the next session, which will immediately follow, we're going to actually give you a grid to assess your leadership development plan in your church. And then we're going to, uh, tomorrow, uh, kind of sample in, do some deeper dives into exactly what are the things you teach to develop a disciple-making culture uh, in your church. But I want to start with this story. December the 18th, uh, 2017, a lot of passengers loaded up on the inaugural uh, launch of a high-speed passenger train that went from Seattle to Portland. And uh, people loaded up into this train, and at 6 o'clock in the morning, it took off and quickly climbed to about 80 miles an hour in speed. And at 7.33 a.m., it attempted to make a left bank when the engine came off the track. Some of you may remember this. Came off the tracks and the other cars, 12 other cars, went careening down an embankment over a bridge and down onto a highway. It was a uh, devastating, devastating uh, accident. One particular guy named Chris Carnes, who was a software developer, said... Quote, it sounded like being on the inside of an aluminum can being crushed. <clears throat> they said basically that, the, that it was traveling at around 78 miles an hour in a 30 mile an hour zone. Now, the reason why I tell you that is because as tragic as that kind of derailment is, and it's a graphic picture, uh, and we see so many leaders derailed. If you have lived for a very long period of time, if you've been in ministry for a very long period of time, you have seen lots and lots of leaders derail. And leaders derail for a lot of reasons. Uh, some derail because spiritually they just withered on the inside. Uh, some people derail because, some leaders derail because they're just making bad choices. They made bad decisions and they weren't really able to recover. Uh, some people derail because they weren't teachable. Right? They just are coachable. Somebody tried to speak into their life. They tried to help them, and they just wouldn't listen to what 
uh, what they had to say. Some people derail because they hear messages in their mind that, hey, you're not good enough. You've got to push the envelope. Keep pushing. Keep pushing. Uh, others hear wrong messages saying, you're the best. It can't happen without you. You're the only one that can make this happen. And either way, they begin to derail and fail uh, in ministry. Some derail because they're insecure. Some derail because they're angry. Some derail because they're arrogant. Some derail because of immorality. Some derail because of distractions. Uh, some derail because of disappointments or hurts from the past. We've all seen it. And if you're like me, uh, it grieves my heart when I see a pastor or a leader derail from ministry uh, that has a heart for God, or at least started off with a heart for God, but somewhere along the way uh, failed. Uh, but there is a, a source of derailing that I think is much more uh, sinister than the ones I just mentioned. There's a danger of derailing that is less obvious and more dangerous than most people realize. And that's what I really want to talk about today. And that is a danger that one may think that they... Um, that they have what I guess I would call a, a superstar syndrome. That is a syndrome that says, you know, you've got to be it. You've got to be the guy. You have to be the one that, have, that holds everything together. When you think of superstars, right, all, all different kinds of names might come to your mind. You know, uh, Steve Jobs, Steven Spielberg, Oprah Winfrey, Tom Brady, you know, you just go through the list, right? They had it, they had the thing, they had the, the ability, they had the charisma, they had the skill to, to make them into a superstar. They're the brand, they're what keeps everything together. They're what makes everything work. Without them, uh, everything collapses. Jim Collins, who wrote the book Good to Great, some of y'all remember, may remember that classic book, he called this the genius with a thousand helpers, right? And there is a model in churches that the pastor's got to be the genius with a thousand helpers. And we are the one that have to have to get, we're the brand, we're the reason why this thing works. We're, it's our personality, our, our charisma, it's all about us. In fact, many times churches cultivate that kind of superstar mentality. Uh, but, but it is lethal. It's lethal. Uh, a superstar mentality where someone thinks it's all about them eventually cannot be sustained. It is, it is bad for you. It's bad for leaders. And, and let me tell you why. There are at least uh, a couple of reasons, two or three reasons. One reason is this, that uh, first, very few people will ever make it to a superstar status. Uh, for example, we, I'll put something here on the screen uh, according to the National Congregational Study uh, Survey, there are estimated 380,000 uh, churches in America. However, 1,750 of those churches would be considered a megachurch, that is, averaging 2,000 on the weekend. That means it's 0.004% of churches in America would be considered a mega church. So if your success is dependent on you leading a mega church, uh, the odds are against you in that, just from a statistical perspective. So if you feel like, well, I'm not, I'm not the guy and I'm not, I'm not the one leading the mega church and that's what I got to be successful, 
then then you are simply you're communicating to those that are not in a mega church and somehow you can't be successful. And, and I've got a real issue with that because I've seen those that have uh, accomplished that status and are not fulfilling the very thing that Jesus commanded us to do in making disciples and making disciples. And I've also seen pastors in very small churches faithfully doing it, making disciples. And I tell you what, when we get to heaven, we will see uh, where success really is measured. But from a statistical uh, uh, explanation, we can't say that everybody is going to get there. So, so what does that mean? Of course, it means that that can't be our pursuit. Another reason why this is bad is simply this, that for the few that do make it, it can become very toxic. Being the guy, being, being the, the superstar in the megachurch can be incredibly toxic. And I don't know how many high-profile people that you've known that have uh, achieved that status only to see their marriage collapse, only to see their emotionally collapse, only to see them fall into all kinds of disarray. I mean, there was a pastor uh, in our area that uh, super successful in, in every measure that we would look at and uh, ran his car into an overpass by himself. And, and it is, it's because he was, he was falling apart on the inside. He was falling apart. <clears throat> when leaders fall, families are hurt. When leaders fall, churches are damaged. When leaders fall, people are there to pick up the pieces. I remember uh, a couple coming to our church uh, about a month ago, and they, I said, well, great, good to have you. We're from, we're from out of town. It was great. They told me where they're from. And they told me the church, and I go, oh, I know that church. And they said, yeah, and then their heads kind of dropped because that pastor had just been all over social media on his big fall. And uh, I just said, I'm, I'm sorry to hear what happened. And I truly meant that. And they said, you know, it started off so great, and it fell apart so fast. And I'll never forget that. And, and so this, this pursuit of stardom uh, is not healthy. Uh, and let me give you one more thing, and that is that, that this pursuit of superstar status prevents you from really doing the very things that unlock your own redemptive potential, the things that really make a difference. The problem with this is that the, the ministry may be going well, but the superstar, again, feels like it's all about their charisma and their ability and their leadership acumen and the things that they bring to the table. And so they're not, they're not, they're not building into others, multiplying into others, multiplying the ministry. It's all inward focus and not outward. Yeah, I mean, they may, may add campuses. They may add a sprawling ministry like that. But again, they're not multiplying themselves which is the very thing Jesus called us to do, is this multiplication of ourselves. Building a ministry on a superstar is incredibly limiting, right? Because it's only grow as much as a superstar can handle. And there is no multiplication in it. And, and I really believe that Jesus gives us a better way. And, and somehow, in some way, we have to recalibrate the scoreboard for what is a healthy church and what is a successful church. And I think that recalibration comes when we look at the life of Jesus, that Jesus really recalibrates what is success. Ministries that move beyond the limits 
uh, of uh, and, and find a way to raise up leaders and empower leaders are successful ministries. Ministries that that make disciples and raise up leaders it are the ministries that are going to flourish in the next uh, season of church history. In many cases, we think of success as the pyramid, right? And you've got to be on top of the pyramid, and the guy on top of the pyramid is, is the successful one. Jesus always flipped that upside down. And the one that is at the bottom is, as the leader is multiplying his life or her life in the lives of others that are multiplying in the lives of others that are multiplying in the lives of others. And that is what we seek to do. What we need more than superstar leaders is we need disciple-making leaders. That's what we need. We need disciple-making leaders. Now, when I talk about superstar leaders for just a minute, let me just say that um, that's not just for the pastor, right? You can have superstar mentality as a kids pastor or as a youth pastor, right? Or as a worship pastor, just about any, any level of, of leadership in a church can have a superstar mentality that says it's all about my ability, my charisma, my ideas, and, and I'm irreplaceable. And I can't possibly multiply my life into somebody else. But I'm telling you that that mentality, though it seems like success, really equals failure. A disciple-making leader is what we're looking for. So how, how do we navigate these choppy waters that are ahead of us? How do we make sure that churches are healthy and growing vibrantly in a more and more hostile environment? Just like we talked about in the plenary session. What does that new next look like? How do we get there? What is that going to look like in the future? I believe it, the churches that multiply disciple-making leaders, multiplying leaders, will be the churches that, that uh, have the greatest impact in the future. And so that's really what I'm, I'm talking about here uh, today. So let me give you a definition of disciple-making leader, and then we're going to be talking the whole rest of the time about how do we make them. Disciple-making leader is one who leads out of the overflow of his walk with Christ and intentionally invests in others to produce genuine disciples and ministry leaders who multiply the movement, all right? So let's just kind of break this down. A disciple-making leader is one who leads out the overflow of his walk with Christ. So, or her overflow of the walk, her walk with Christ. So it starts off with a disciple-making leader walking with God deeply, personally, and intimately in their own life and in their own heart. They're not just known for what they do for the organization. They know, they're known for who they are in Christ. Huge difference. They're not, their identity is not wrapped up in their job or their performance. Their identity is wrapped up in their walk, an intimate walk with Jesus. They're leading out of the overflow of their walk with God, with God. And then they are intentionally producing other disciples. They are intentionally investing in others. Their mindset is not, oh, this is what I can produce. Their mindset is this is what we can produce together if we multiply our lives into the lives of others. They're, the success score is how many new leaders are you emerging and investing in uh, as you are uh, ministering. And then that ultimately leads to this, multiplication. It will multiply the movement. Without multiplication, there is no movement. I don't know how many times I've said that, but I'm going to say it again. All right, Without multiplication... There's no movement. And so if we, if we want to see a movement happen, we're going to have to raise up leaders like this. We're going to have to raise them up. Leaders that, 
that are disciple-making leaders. So if you kind of contrast the superstar with the disciple-making leader, it becomes very obvious. The superstar leader is all focused on me. Disciple-making leader focused on raising others up. The superstar leader is fueled by my talent, right? This is what I bring to the table. Nobody else has that talent. But the disciple-making leader is fueled by a calling to make disciples of others and raising up the talents of others. A superstar leader wants to be known. A disciple-making leader wants to be faithful. Uh, a superstar leader desires to be served, but the disciple-making leader desires to serve others. The superstar leader results uh, are, are over relationship. In other words, this is what I brought today. These are results I produce, and even if it costs me relationally, but the disciple-making leader results come through relationships. They're constantly investing in others. Superstar leader finds joy in the accomplishment. The disciple-making leader finds joy in others' accomplishments. Right? I think about when the 72 came back to Jesus and they said all that had happened. And it says in, in Luke 10, 21, that he was filled with joy. And by the way, this is one of the only places in the Gospels where it speaks about Jesus being filled with joy. Is right then when he saw the accomplishments of others that he had invested in. And then lastly, you know, the superstar leader, their impact dies with them. Once they're gone, people will remember them, but their impact is over because it was all about them to begin with. But this disciple-making leader, their impact continues to multiply and grow uh, because their investment continues uh, to in, uh, multiply and grow. You know, in the year 1963, a Jesuit priest named Tomislav Pelagian uh, left his native country of Croatia and traveled to Czechoslovakia to avoid the uh, Nazi Gestapo. And uh, when he got there, he changed his last name to Kolakovic, which was his mother's maiden name. And he began to work in that city and teach. He was only 37 years old, but he had uh, some premature gray uh, to his hair. And he began to gather students. He would teach in, in the schools, and he would gather students in his home, and he would invest in these handful of students. He taught them to read their Bible. He taught them to pray. He taught them uh, to focus on Christ and to put Christ first in their life. Uh, and he warned them that when the Nazis left, that the Soviets would come in and, and it would be very difficult for them. And sure enough, that's exactly what happened. Uh, after World War II, when the Soviets came in to Czechoslovakia, uh, Kolakovich was kicked out of the country and most of his students uh, who he'd invested in. By the way, just prior to the fall of World War II, he had multiplied students all over Czechoslovakia in multiple university campuses. There are just a handful of a picture of those here. After he was kicked out, though, his students, many of them, were put in prisons. But in the, in the early 60s, they were released. And they began to do exactly what Tomislav had taught them to do. They gathered in homes. And they studied the Bible, and they prayed, and they talked about putting Jesus first. And they began what was called the underground movement, the Christian underground movement in Czechoslovakia that became the backbone of the resistance movement that ultimately led to the fall of communism uh, in that country. Now listen, Kolakovic uh, was not a superstar. He wasn't. He wasn't. He wasn't on any, in, on any headlines. 
He wasn't drawing massive crowds. He was not, uh, he was not promoted. But was he effective? Tremendously effective. But he was effective because he was a disciple-making leader. He was investing in the lives of others that were then turning around and investing their lives in others as well. Now, this is a picture of what Jesus did, of course, right? Jesus was, uh, if anyone would have been the, the ultimate superstar leader, wouldn't that have been Jesus, right? I mean, you agree with that? I mean, he had everything going uh, to be the ultimate superstar leader. But that's not what he chose to do. I think about what it says in John, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through Him and apart from Him. Not one thing was created that has been created. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now listen, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we observed His glory, the glory of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and true. Jesus could have been the ultimate superstar leader, but he chose the opposite. In Philippians 2, what we see is he took on the form of a servant and he humbled himself. He invested in a few and he banked everything on those few. In fact, when you look at Jesus' ministry, what you'll find is he spent 17 times, we have recorded in the Gospels, with the crowds, but 47 times he is seen with the few. He is investing his life in these few. This was his priority. It, 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 Jesus didn't come just to draw people to him as a superstar. He, he came to empower men and women that would ultimately herald the gospel to the ends of the earth. Hey, I hope you've been enjoying this episode so far. I wanted to take just a second to tell you about the Discipleship.org Collective. It's an online community designed for disciples and disciple makers. And if you're a follower of Jesus, then you fit in one or both of those categories. And we made this website with your needs in mind. The website itself is super cool because it's like stepping into a virtual church building. There's a welcome center, an auditorium for main events, and even some classrooms. Right now, you can get free access to this collective where we provide weekly webinars, we've got ebooks, and even disciple making assessments for you and also your whole church. And don't mistake this for just a website, it's actually a community for disciple makers. Basic membership is free, but there's also a premium access option that includes courses, certifications, and online gatherings with other leaders from around the world. So go to discipleship.org collective and sign up for your free membership today. When Bobby uh, was talking on the platform in this last session about, okay, if things are going to get more difficult, if things are going to get more hard, if things are going to become more hostile, how do we how do we see the church thrive and multiply? You talk to people right now that are, are working in, in China, right? That's a hostile environment. Uh, you, you see even India is, is a growing, hostile environment. Are those churches throw, growing and thriving? Yes. But are they growing and thriving because of superstar leaders? No, they are not. They are growing and thriving because they are led by disciple-making leaders that multiply. And this is the big pivot for churches. 
How do we produce those kinds of leaders? How do we do that? And so this is, this is really uh, the desperate need of our churches today. In fact, in the next session, what I'm going to do is I'm going to show you uh, a graph, right, that shows you how did Jesus produce these kind of disciple-making leaders and, and what, what kind of leadership trajectory would you need to be on to produce that kind of disciple-making leader and the two other kinds of leaders we are producing right now that are not disciple-making leaders and, and why we do that unwittingly, why we do that. So I'm going to be showing you that uh, in the next session, okay? But, you know, I'm just so thankful for uh, three businessmen in my own life that when I was a pastor, and I get this, I was a pastor, and yet I did not know how to make disciples. I've been to seminary. I did okay in seminary even, you know? But I didn't know how to make, make disciples. And there were three businessmen in, my, in our church that I saw them making disciples quietly, silently, behind the scenes, making disciples that make disciples. And I said, hey, could you show me how to do that? And these three businessmen changed my whole understanding of what ministry should look like. And I'm thankful for it. So we're going to talk a little bit more about that in this next session. But let me, let me uh, say a couple of things here about why this is urgent. And then I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna ask Glenn a couple of questions here. First thing is this: Here's why this is important. Number one, our times demanded, right? Our times demanded. In in a growing difficult environment, we churches will only survive that that have this model. Uh, I remember being in Chicago uh, in 20. Let's see. I think it was in the fall of 2019. I was in Chicago in a think tank on church planting, and they had us do an exercise. They said, okay, I want you to envision that churches are shut down by the government. I want you to, now get this, churches are shut down, and you've lost your tax-exempt status, so people are not going to be able to give much money anymore, and how? what are you going to do to cause your church to not only, not only survive but thrive in that kind of environment? And so we all went to butcher paper on the wall and we're all drawing out ideas. But in our mind, we're thinking, okay, that's not going to happen in our lifetime. And then it happened. Like within six months, we were all staring at the fact that our church was going to be shut down for months on end. And, and to me, it was like, it was like a, a pop quiz. Right? It was like a pop quiz. How are you going to survive in that moment? What would you need to survive in that moment? Well, of course, if you're decentralized, then you need to have leaders that know what to do, right? You need to have leaders that are not dependent on you to know how to walk with God and how to raise up leaders and have them mobilize their people. Are, are the people in your church prepared for that? Do they know how to do that? Do you have leaders like that? If they're all dependent on you, then that's a problem, right? And, and so the times demand this kind of disciple-making leader. Uh, secondly, I would just say that the gospel requires it because there's no way that we're going to be able to reach our world without multiplication. There's no way that we can have enough superstars to, to win the lost. That, that we're going to have to, if we're going to plant the churches we need to plant, if we're going to raise up ministries that we need to raise up, if we're going to grow the way we need to grow, we need more leaders. And how do we get more leaders? Well, we have to have more disciple-making, multiplying leaders, not superstar leaders. And so just the, fulfilling the gospel requires it. And then lastly, I would just say that Jesus demands it. You know, when Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations, 
He didn't say go make superstars for all nations. He said go make disciples that will multiply. And so this is imperative. Uh, as a pastor, okay, I'm just saying this as a pastor. We've got to produce leaders like this. We have to. We are committed to church planting. We have to produce leaders like this. So the big question that keeps me up at night is how do we do that? How do we practically do that? And some of what I'm going to share with you in the next session is going to give you kind of a, a, a game plan for how to do that. And then the, and tomorrow I'm going to dive into detail about what that might look like. Okay. Uh, but in our in our time remaining here, we have the next few minutes. I just wanted to, Glenn, you come on up here for just a second. And I wanted to ask you something because you, you are... Uh, an executive leader in our church, you have several divisions and departments underneath you. And so when you think about this disciple-making leader, what is the greatest challenge that you face, you're in the trenches every day, to producing a leader like that? Yes, so uh, as Craig is mentioning, um, the part that I've always wrestled with is this idea of having to make more leaders, right? Uh, I think of a, of, uh, of a, um, a piece of paper, let's say, with sand on top of it, and as you grow, as you have growth and you experience growth, at some point uh, you pour too much sand on there and it topples over, right? So you got to grow that piece of cardboard or paper, what out? And so it's this idea we've got to be, you know, I'm always telling your team importance of us being able to really grow and to continue to to uh, to really uh, share the influence of the Christ is we got to expand the that piece of paper out. Uh, and sometimes the, the necessity to, to get more leaders is you take shortcuts. And that's very dangerous. Uh, and that is probably one of the greatest lessons I've been learning over my last 27 years of full-time ministry is this essence of, and even as I'm working to develop our teams, uh, as I work with pastors across the country, don't take shortcuts in making disciple-making leaders. Uh, because I have experienced uh, multiple mistakes in taking shortcuts. Uh, and in essence, to try to uh, you know, continue to grow more and more and more, I've, I've brought it out of balance. I said earlier uh, that really this idea, this challenge for me was uh, I, I didn't need more leaders, I needed the right kinds of leaders. Uh, and so that has been a huge challenge uh, for, for me and as we're growing and developing our ministry uh, is how do we continue to raise up uh, the right kinds of leaders uh, that will actually uh, embody what, what we're really, where we're really trying to go. Uh, because if you don't, you end up bringing in, and here's the word for the day for me is it poisons the pot. It poisons the pot, and uh, I I know as as uh, having worked with lots of elder teams uh, as we're trying to work on helping churches develop their culture, and we're sitting around a room, and if there's not buy-in from that elder team on this whole idea of making disciples, it makes disciples. It gets very interesting around the table. I also uh, just recently, just before I came back. Uh, Craig, I told you Craig and I have been together a long time. I took about a seven-year hiatus uh, and went to serve as an executive pastor at a church in, in the Atlanta area with a good friend of ours by the name of Ken Adams. Uh, 
a very large church. And uh, I actually got to, it was a church started 30 years ago from the very essence of being a disciple-making church. Can I tell you the beauty of getting to sit around with elders who'd been one to Christ, discipled, and were actually living as disciples and disciple-makers, making, uh, making policies, uh, helping chart the direction of the church, it was absolutely fundamentally amazing because the leaders were bought into and were actually living out what we were espousing to our body. Uh, I, another challenge I have uh, in this whole leadership is you never ask anybody to do anything that you're not doing yourself. And if you don't have the right kinds of leaders, disciple-making leaders, again, it won't go the direction that you're wanting to go. That is another huge challenge that I face. And that even goes for our people on our team. If we're asking people to invest their life, to sacrifice their time and their effort and their energies, what are we as a team, my team specifically, uh, my seven direct reports, what are we doing to embody what we're asking others to do? Are we doing uh, what we ask them to do? Because you will never, ever, ever, ever move your church is past where you're at. And that's one of the things we continue to always tell our leaders, uh, even on my team, is uh, especially in disciple making, if you're, uh, you will only take a church, and I can't unpack because I'll throw away all the good stuff in the next session. But Don't throw away I won't throw stuff. Away. But if you, only, if you I'm going to call it a phase, two, you'll see up here, if you're only a phase two leader, you're only going to make what? A phase two leader or a phase two church? The idea, if you're going to create a phase four, which you'll see in a little bit, and really get to that multiplied impact, you have to have phase four leaders who are living it out and embodying it, because then you're going to what? You're going to reproduce what you are. So those are those are just some of our challenges. That's great. Um, what questions do you have? I know we've got about uh, two minutes here that I wanted to just maybe see if there's one or two questions. Just thinking here about disciple-making leader before we jump into, I'll give you a short break and we'll then go into the next Session. Yeah. So with the business of people's lives, the affluence, um, overworked, all this kind of stuff, where does the hunger come from? Do we create the hunger in people to make disciples, or does God create the hunger? How, how do people get to the place where they want to be disciple makers? Yeah. Well, that's a really great question. The question was, uh, as, as busy as people are in today's culture, what causes them to want to be a disciple maker when there's so many other distractions around them? And I, I, I you know, you, you said, does God do it or do we do it? And I'm, I'm tempted to say yes, uh, right? Because ultimately the Holy Spirit has to be the one stirring your heart to change anything, right? Any, any movement that we make toward him is a result of the Holy Spirit moving us. But I do think that many times the Holy Spirit uses uh, an example that you say, I want to have a life of significance like that. And what I tend to do is when I'm talking with a businessman that I'm going to disciple, I will go sit uh, over lunch with him, and then I will just talk about my own spiritual journey and where were the major pivot points in my life of growth, right? And, and how God brought some men in my life that invested in me and taught me how to walk with God and the difference that that has made in my life and the impact that my life has had as a result of that. 
And then I just say, man, I, that's what I want for you. Because a lot of these guys, they are very busy and they are very successful. But at the end of the night, they go, they put their head on the pillow and they go, okay, is this really all there is? I mean, either I'm, I'm very successful in my job and now what's, what's next for me? Is this it? Or I'm never going to get to the place I thought. So now is my life just a failure? And to, to speak into the purpose. In fact, uh, on tomorrow, what I'm going to tell you, I'll give you a little snippet. One of the things that Jesus did was he was a master vision caster. And so when Jesus goes up to, to Peter and Andrew, James and John, and he says, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men, right? He's saying, I'm going to give you a bigger vision for your life than what you have. Your vision is just catching fish. I've got bigger plans for you to not just catch fish, but catch men. They're, you're selling yourself short by only giving your best to just your career. When God's got bigger things for you. And I think sometimes when you speak vision into someone's heart and life, you're speaking into their heart and their soul. I know especially for men this is the case, that, man, God has more. in. I, mean, I think when he saw Peter, he said, man, i got a guy there that I'm going to use in a powerful way. He doesn't know it yet, but I'm going to use him in a powerful way. And I think that, that uh, Jesus had a way of calling that out. And so that created this sense of desire and hunger and willingness to say, man, I'll, I'll meet you at 5 a.m. I'll meet you, you know, uh, I'll spend this time because I want that. They're, they're not there. They're, they're disillusioned by just sitting in the pew and just, you know, stroking the check, and that's that's it. And so you've got to call that out in them. So is it God or you? Yes, that would be my, that'd be my example. Yeah. Can I? I love the, the question, I just want to add to that. Yeah. What I've often done is undervalue the power of prayer. Yeah. Mm -hmm. God works through that. Yeah. It's, I can't, I'm just not doing it on my own life. Yes, absolutely. Uh, the power of prayer. I'm, I'm repeating that for our recording, uh, the importance of the power of prayer. Yeah. So uh, a verse that has had a tremendous impact on my uh, leadership piece as we think about, about what you're just saying is Jeremiah 3.15. Um, I think many of you remember the nation of Israel was really struggling, right? They were in a dismal place during Jeremiah's journey as a prophet. Uh, and in Jeremiah 3.15, uh, you know, God raises his head and says, look, I'm going to give you shepherds after my own heart that will lead you with knowledge and understanding. So if we're really going to get to the heart of raising up disciple-making leaders, it really begins with giving them a heart after God. What do we say is a heart after God? Well, we would say it's to make and multiply disciples like Jesus. That, that heart that says, I want to be uh, the character, the priorities of Jesus are super most important. But I also have a heart and a vision to, uh, to really make and multiply disciples outside of my own life. So, um, you know, again, this invitational process of inviting them into it and giving them a bigger picture of what can be and they get to taste it. And then as you begin to really drill into the why, because I always, you know, you've heard it said, if you lose your why, you lose your way. I always want to, I always want to journey with the why, because man, when you understand the why and it goes deep in your soul, uh, man, you, uh, you will want to continue to, as the Holy Spirit works inside and transforms you and you start leading out of the right knowledge and the right understanding 
it's a game changer. You'll hear a little bit of a story of one of our leaders. Um, he was 30, he was uh, 20, Zach was 28. Um, I, Zach was uh, kind of really kind of disconnected, uh, very, very hungry for work and business. Uh, maybe you've heard of a company called Fastenal. It's a construction company. I was the youngest GM in their entire company across the entire United States. Uh, he was running an organization of 18 stores, making millions and millions of dollars these stores. He was in pursuit of money and he was really good at it. But he was very disillusioned. And things were not going in the right direction for him on the inside. Uh, God miraculously put the two of us together and if you could see Zach, he's like six foot eight, weighs about, weigh, I mean, he's all muscle, weighs about 400, I mean, he's huge, like towering, right? I'm, I'm a pretty scrawny kind of guy, you know, pretty, pretty, and you put the two of us together, but it's funny, but God gave us a lifelong friendship. Uh, God began to work in his life, invited him in to a journey to walking and learning to how to have a heart for God. He began to be saturated for a heart for God. He began to start utilizing that heart for God to start really uh, learning how to work in his vocation to make disciples who make disciples. Today, he stepped away from his marketplace job. And when I left seven years ago to go to, to Crossroads, he took over my position. Uh, and he still serves on our staff as an executive leader. Uh, a lot of guys on our team from Disciple First have been men and women who have been discipled, one to Christ, they lives totally changed, and then they have said, hey, I want to do something significant with my life, and, and I want to I give away and teach others how to do the same thing. So it can happen. We've watched it out with our own two eyes. Uh, God stir a movement of leaders who are using. Now, leaders, in my mind, is about gifting. It's about gifting and calling. And not everybody who's a disciple maker is going to become a leader. But, uh, but if you, as you're making disciples and you see that they have a gifting and a call, then you call them to that next, to that next stage. Yeah. So once you think about the leaders that are in your ministry right now, are they disciple making leaders? Maybe, maybe start with yourself. Okay. Am I, am I someone, am I multiplying my life in the lives of others? Am I doing that? Am I raising up the next generation of leaders? Is our church producing multiplying leaders? I think um, as you think to the future, that is going to be, um, that's going to have to be one of your top priorities. And so how do we do that? That's what we're going to be talking about. I'm going to give you basically, like I said, a, a roadmap for what that would look like uh, in the next session. Um, and what what are some practical steps you could start to take? But what are what are some of the questions you have, or, or struggles, or challenges you're having with leadership? Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned that there's a temptation to uh, cut corners, developing leaders. And the question I had is, uh, what corners have you been most tempted to cut, and with what kind of implications have you suffered from this? All right. <laughs> you want to you want to say this and it be recorded? Yeah, I, I probably had to keep my time is one, right? Time is, I mean, because it just takes time to make disciples. He asked, what's one of the temptations that you're most, I mean, one of the corners you might want to most cut? 
Uh, and for us, it's been sometimes the essence of time. Um, if you look at the life of Jesus, and again, I always go back to Jesus. There's a stage where Jesus is making disciples and he's developing a movement. And it, it's, it's a period of about 18 months. And it's the area where, man, they're really, I mean, he is really drilling into them and helping them to, to really um, pull the roots down and to grow uh, into the work and the person of him. And I think sometimes we want to skip that stage uh, or super, uh, super turbo that group or turbo that phase so that we can get on to the next one because we know that that's where they're going to get jump started. And I, that's been for me, that's been, it's the biggest one hurdle is time. Just out, the temptation to want to get moving on fast, 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 fast and fast track guys so we can get them through the, through the, through the piece. Yeah. Does that answer your question? Maybe you have another one. Yeah, I, I think the biggest challenge for me uh, is is I see a person that's talented and I see a person that can produce results. And so I push that, put that person in a position. Has anybody done that in no. here? No. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's a, this is a good therapy for all of us, you know. And then you realize when you get them in position that, okay, yeah, they may be producing the results, but something's missing. And what's, what's missing is either because they're not a disciple maker, they're not, their walk with God, they're, they're burning out. They're, they're, they're producing results out of their flesh. They're not walking intimately with the Lord. And they're not raising up other leaders around them. Because if you're in a superstar mentality, other leaders that are as good as you are a threat. Right? I don't. Well, I've, I've talked to guys and say, you need to multiply yourself. They will, well, then what would I do? You know? And so they don't want to multiply. They'll give you all the reasons why they are the only ones that can do what they do. And I'm like, no, you've got to change your thinking, right? To how can I multiply and raise up leaders that can do what I do? Because that's the only way that multiplication happens. So I think one of the corners that I tend to cut is... Uh, getting enamored with you know what someone can do for me right now, uh, and not wait to really develop them or not elevate them just yet until they're ready for it. Yeah. I don't know if this is true, but in my experience, looking back, I think maybe we have multiplied ourselves. And that scares me to death. <laughs> we have created a whole raft of people who are comfortable being and not making disciples right. with the knowledge and not the obedience. So my right. first Sunday at the church that I serve now as discipleship pastor, my pastor preached on Matthew 28, 18-20, and he quoted it, and he gets to making disciples, baptizing them, and teaching them everything I have commanded you. He quoted it but he left out to observe. So after church, he's like, how'd you like my discipleship sermon? And I said, uh... Did you get one of these? Because I think that's, <laughs> that we have multiplied ourselves. Yeah. And we have people who are comfortable being what their version of a disciple that's just knowing. Yeah. And yet the obedience part is... Sadly, so how do we correct that? Is my question. Yeah, that's that's great. You know, you're right. Teaching them to obey, teaching them to observe, that is 
uh, I'll show you in the next session that that stage that that passage that section represents is missing in our churches, and and we see it. But I think from a from a leadership perspective, you're right. We have multiplied leaders that think the superstar status is the successful status, right? And and we we put up in front, hey, these are the kind of leaders we want. When actuality, these are not multiplying leaders. And so what looks like success is really hurting us. And, and somehow we have to promote the kind of leaders that uh, will multiply as a successful thing. And that, that comes from a culture that you create in your own church. Yeah. I just want to ask for you as leaders in your church, how do you define disciple making? And what is a disciple making leader? And how do you develop someone from being a lost person to a leader in that, that matrix? Right. So the disciple-making leader is a de- definition that I just gave you right. on the screen. So it's someone who leads out of the overflow of their life, and they're investing in the lives of others for the purpose of multiplication. And so that that is a type of leader that we're seeking to produce. You know, when we talk about what is a disciple in our church, we use the what we call the three Ds of disciple. Someone that's devoted to Jesus someone that's developing in the character and competency of Jesus, and someone that's deployed into the mission. So we, we keep that forward. So that is... Yeah, very similar. Yeah, exactly. But I think that when you when you read a lot of guys that, that are talking about what is a disciple, uh, a lot of times those all these definitions start to sound the same. And the reason why is we're all reading the same book, right? <laughs> and we're all drawn in from the same thing, right? And so if that is your definition of a disciple, right? And so then you want leaders that exemplify that. And, and that's my whole point is that we have many leaders that are just good leaders or charismatic leaders, but they're not exemplifying what a disciple is. And so they cannot lead out of the overflow. They can't reproduce. As Glenn said, you can't reproduce what you're not. And so that, and I'm, what I'm going to show you in the next session is our disciple making pathway, which I think will make it even more clear. Uh, I'll I'll show you that in the next session. Yeah. Just a, a thought, though, a question is, you know, um, it says one sows, one waters, one reaps, one brings the increase, and I think the American side of every single one of us wants to be like, yes, if I do this, it'll happen like that. And yet, we look at the example you started with. He didn't. We think that we get to eat from. The harvest that we sell, but we're mm-hmm. not always doing that. I, I grew up in a church with 50 people, mm-hmm. and that pastor put out more ministers mm-hmm. than most people that I know. And I mean, even in this room, there's some of you, you're in a small church, and you think that what you're doing is not significant. Nice. I was a full blown drug addict, out of my mind, suicidal, and a disciple making pastor poured into me. That guy never really saw that his effects would go into the 1960s. Mm, that's right. That's the value. I see this like, I may not eat from the reap, but this is what Jesus commands us to do and the successes is that we do the part that we do with it. And I just think this this whole concept is just so good and more awesome. Yeah. But um, my thought would be, my question is, if you were to take the metaphor of a dimmer light, what are the things that you see that are like, oh man, this is somebody that's headed to disciple making and you're turning up the dimmer, but there are things that you see that dim that down for you. Like where you're like, yeah, this person's got it. And, and in that journey, you've got ups and downs where you're like, well, let's, let's slow this down and come back. Yeah. Uh, I'll answer that question then I'll let Glenn answer because he's also in the trenches of it. Um, 
You know, as we're investing in, in people, like when I'm looking at leaders, we're not looking at just the leaders we have, but the leaders that, that can emerge, right? So we start with discipling a person. And then out of that discipling that person, now we know that their heart is right. They start to develop these, these attributes of a disciple that we're talking about. That's how we want to raise them up into leadership positions. And I think where if we see someone is struggling in that area, then we may hold back a little bit, not in a punishment sense, but, but to help them, we want them to be wildly successful, right? It's just like your kids, right? You want them to be successful. I mean, I think Jim talks about this all the time. Disciple making is just spiritual parenting, right? And so you want to grow them spiritually and then give them opportunities uh, to lead at the, at the level of their spiritual maturity. Uh, unfortunately, again, I'm saying this all the time, we shoot people into leadership positions because they have leadership acumen or talent or skill but we don't take into consideration their spiritual maturity. And this is why you have churches that are dysfunctional, right? Even at the highest levels of their leadership. And so I think we have to be asking the question, how is so-and-so doing? And that's part of knowing your flock, right? Knowing your people, knowing these, this person, how they're doing, and are they ready to take this next step, or do they need to hold back a little bit? And so for me, as I was just thinking about that, um, disciple-making is not a classroom. It's a life on life, right? So as I'm doing life with a potential person that, you know, like with, uh, if it's a guy I'm, I'm investing in, uh, I should be knowing about what's going on in his marriage. should be watching what's going on with his kids. Uh, he's watching what's going on in my home. I, anytime I'm discipling, guys are in my home. Uh, and the reason they're in my home is one of two reasons. I want them to watch how I respond to my kids I want my kids seeing me investing in other people's life. Uh, whole, there's a whole litany of that. But if I start seeing character issues or issues about that, I might be thinking, hey, this guy, as he's, going th- as he's being raised up and taking on more responsibility, I may say, hey, we need to step back a little bit because we need to work on some other things before we begin to proceed to move you forward in, in those other areas. So like that dimmer. So I'm, I'm constantly watching and observing uh, life patterns uh, what's their what's their travel time like? What's their what's their not a time away? How are they treating their family? I'm I'm watching all kinds of pieces because obviously out of the overflow, some of those things should be being impacted. But if I see it going in a in a negative direction, I want to address that and help them come alongside them to help make some adjustments so that when they get into leadership, because as you get squeezed, we always say around our table. Um, you know, when you get squeezed, uh, it, it really shows what comes out of you. And so, you know, I want to make sure when they get squeezed, what's coming out of them. So I'm a character, uh, and and they're and are they reflecting the priorities, which we'll talk about in the next section? These character and priorities, competencies. Am I seeing that on a regular basis? Not perfect, not perfection, but am I beginning to see them on a more regular and consistent basis? If not, why not? And let's talk about it, and let's pull back so that we can help you because maybe it's an area of growth for you. I don't know if that helps any. Yeah. Good. Yeah. So what's the follow-up process? So uh, kind of saw from your book, you have to kind of start, you know, not finish with seven weeks for book, you can like kind of walk through with people. But at what point do you kind of like cut their, their, their tie? Let them go. Yeah. But then you just quit following up or you quit 
Yeah. So the question is, uh, we have uh, three three books set uh, that we use as a disciple making tool in our church. We call it the Grow Series. Walk with God is seven weeks on just the fundamentals of how to walk with God. Reach Your World is seven weeks on how to share your faith in a relational way. Um, and then invest in a few uh, seven weeks on how to invest in others and, and produce a disciple. And so that's your multiplication uh, piece of it. And so we walked them through that. It very seldom is it all done in 21 weeks because you have natural breaks and holidays and things like that. That, that usually ends up being a nine to 10 month uh, period of time. But the end result of that is that now they're taking someone through those, they're multiplying their life and the lives of others. Now we do gather our, once you do that and you start to multiply your life, we, we pull together what we call our multipliers, those people that are doing that, to try to fuel the, the flame and encourage them throughout the year. And we do that ongoing. But what I found is that people that are really successful in seeing a high multiplication rate are people that do really good follow-up. They just do really good follow-up. Uh, to be honest with you, my wife does better follow-up than I do. And that's just, that's, she's just, that's the truth. Um, in fact, she will do. She will lead a couple of groups, and then she'll not lead a group, and then she'll invite all those women that she's led through a group back into a, a, a Bible study or book club kind of thing. But that's all to reconnect with them and then get them fired up to go multiply again before she starts another group. And she just has an intentional system of following up. And you think what the Apostle Paul did, right? He went and planted churches. Then he goes back and he follows up. Then he goes back and he follows up. So I think, I think that follow, you have to have in your strategy uh, how you're going to follow up with the people that you've uh, been discipling. Yeah, you know, when I was really for student ministry, and so uh, students are kind of more clingy than adults. Right. When you invest the students, there's time to value there. Uh, they're more, I get persistent to come back to you right. specifically. So the time answer there is it's kind of difficult. Right. In reality, I have 10 students, and I walk through them with that, and those go and multiply whatnot. You know, the 10 people that keep coming back, you know, Right. So I'm limited as I can do one group of 10 or else we have 30 go back to me, you know, in a week's time. Mm -hmm. and just yeah. And with students, it's a little different because of just their development and so on. So I think that maybe you, you'd have to create a little more structure around that. We could talk to you offline about what are some good strategies for that. How are we doing on time? We got probably one more question. Let me answer that too, real quick. Um, someone, and I'm looking at him, someone told me that, hey, parenting never stops. And I'm, I'm, I have two boys that just went into college, so I'm learning this really well. Uh, spiritual parenting never stops. The man who invested in me, he's 84 years old. It's the same man that invested in Craig. Every month he calls me and he asks me two questions. Tell me something God's speaking to you about. I want to hear what's God, what's God saying to you. Second question he asked me is, who are your men, and what's going on in their lives? <coughs> Spiritual parenting is an ongoing. So guys that I'm investing in have have invested in. I'm spiritually parenting. Uh, I, I'm texting. I'm I'm looking for different and creative ways to make touch points with guys I've poured my life into, because I want to know. Hey, are you continuing to carry on the vision? And the the heart of multiplication if not why not and what can I do to help you perpetuate that and to keep going because they need that let me just say this 
and you probably know this really well, more than, than maybe than we do, um, Bill Hull, who's had a huge impact in my life uh, and has become a, a, a really very close friend, used to always say to me, Glenn, disciple makers have to have that flame constantly flame, I mean, constantly uh, kind of stoked all the time. And that really what is what launched us at First Colleyville to, to pull our disciple making uh, disciple makers together on a regular basis to help fan that flame, to keep stoking it hot. And, and so we gather ours together quarterly. Uh, and then it also is a great vision when they're all together and they see the power of multiplication uh, standing in front of them in a room with more and more growth. It's pretty inspiring. So I, I, spiritual parenting is an ongoing uh, thing and you'll hopefully never get over it because it's really cool. Okay, maybe one more question. Yeah. Is there a number of kids that you can handle? <laughs> <laughs> You're asking the man that has four kids. So. <laughs> the more the better. That's right. So um, what we advocate from how to just in mechanics of how you make a disciple is we advocate three to four as your optimal number in, in any given group. We say if you're less than three, that is you have two, and then one person misses, you know, have one left and have the group's gone. So they're be like, well, we don't want to do it without Johnny. So let's miss this week. And it tends to delay you. If you have more than four, if you have five or six, you're probably not following up with them during the week because that's too many people for you to manage with your full-time job and your own family and that sort of thing. So we found, you know, Ogden says that same thing, three to four. And I, and I agree with him that practically... I've not done a good job when I've done more than that. I mean, I've gotten them through the group, but I've not really given them my best uh, when I've done more than that. After that. Okay, so uh, what we're going to do is in this, in this next session, uh, I'm going I'm to give you a, a blueprint strategy for how you, to pro how you produce disciple-making leaders, okay? And I'm going to show you the optimal trajectory of a disciple-making leader. Also, what I'm going to do is show you two other types of leaders that we tend to create in the church that are not disciple-making leaders and what you can do about it. If you have those people on your staff, if you have those people in leadership right now, what can you do to help fix that? Okay, So it's going to be a really practical uh, diagram that I think will be very helpful for you. All right. Thank you, Pastor Craig. So as we kind of wrap up, just again, we talked really about this whole idea of the leadership challenge and what... What this is really all about is how do we not just raise up leaders, but how do we raise up disciple-making leaders is really the context of what we're trying to, to really work on. Uh, Craig just recently wrote a book. It's at the publisher. It's supposed to be out the first of the year. But we want to make available a chapter in that book for you. If you'd like a free copy or, or a free chapter of one, one of those chapters in the book, you can text M, the number 2, M, to 844 or 571-571. 1502 and uh, you can get a free uh, chapter from that book and we'd love to send that over to you uh, so that you can begin to see that and then we'll be giving you periodic updates when that book will be uh, when that book will actually launch and it's called made to multiply why great movements tomorrow depend on great leaders for today if you'd like to have our PowerPoint for uh, this particular session uh, our book table is just right out here right you can actually go out this door and just make a hook a right uh, we're right here at the corner 
myself and uh, one of our other team members will be there. Uh, we'll take your information and we'd love to send you a copy of the PowerPoint uh, so that we can get that over to you. All right. Thank you so much. And like uh, Pastor Craig said, in about 15 minutes, we'll be right back in here and we'll give uh, we'll be doing session two on uh, this whole pipeline structure uh, through the Gospels. All right. Thank you for coming. Man, that was awesome stuff from Disciple First. I hope that you enjoyed that episode. And I also hope that you took down notes so you can remember as you go along. But if you didn't, you know what's something awesome that you can do? You can click subscribe to this podcast and listen to it again. Yay! See what I did there? Hey, also want to remind you, check out discipleship.org slash collective. You can get a free account there and start watching live webinars and seminars and gatherings there. And you can use that as another resource for you as you become a better disciple maker. Before I sign off here, I want to leave you with a quote that Craig said in the first half of this episode. He said, a superstar leader wants to be known and a disciple making leader wants to be faithful. So let's be genuine, faithful, disciple making leaders who long to serve others and could care less if anyone knows who we are. God knows who we are, and he will give us a reward in heaven. Have a blessed day.